Please be seated. I think it's a shame, but sometimes when we say turn the other cheek, we don't really understand the revolutionary nature of that proposition. In fact, it, it in some ways has become kind of a meaningless cliche, I think. I mean, we all know that people hurting other people is wrong. And I will tell you right now that I would have a hard time in the moment turning the other cheek if someone was harming the people that I love. I am not a pacifist. But I'm not sure that turning the other cheek is about being a pacifist, though. It is about overcoming an entire system in this world. It is the stuff of revolution. So it's too bad sometimes it can be a little meaningless. Sure wasn't meaningless back in Jesus' day, though. They would have recognized the, the two exchanges that take place in the first part of this teaching. In the first place, a, a cultural superior, a, a person from the ruling class, uh, would never have hit someone with this side of their hand. They would always backhand someone lower than them to express their um, unhappiness with them to a servant or uh, to someone who was working for them. And so Jesus says, when that person backhands you, rather than attack them back, turn and let them hit your other cheek, because that means now they're going to have to hit you with the palm of their hand, like an equal, because you are an equal, he was telling them. By turning the other cheek, th these people who were often backhanded, communicated to their victimizers, hit me again if you will, but it will be as an equal because I am a human being just like you. It humanized victim and it humanized oppressor. Radical stuff. And then some of you probably know this, but a Roman citizen by law could ask any non-citizen to carry their stuff for a mile and Jesus says to his followers, don't just do the mile, carry it the second mile. In essence, saying, just take it all the way home for them. I wouldn't have wanted to carry my adversary's stuff a foot, much less a mile. My wife can't even get me off the couch sometimes to go fetch things for her. And you know, imagine what that second mile must have been like, how awkward it must have been. Um, the mile's up. You can put my my chest my chest down now. No, no, no. I got it. No, really, you can't. No, I got it. And you know these two images have have sometimes um, moved off into sort of cliche and meaningless territory for us because they give us a, a sort of wonderful world, misty-eyed idealism about the world. But make no mistake, they are the stuff of. Radical Jesus kind of love. We have plenty of examples of this kind of radical love um, right here in our history, here in Atlanta. Especially here in the South. You know, you watch footage of, of, of an African-American man walking down the sidewalk through a white neighborhood as white people follow him and scream words of abuse at him and curse at him. 
You look at the pictures of a little girl going to elementary school through a crowd of people who are jeering at her and calling her all sorts of names. Our own John Lewis sitting at a lunch counter having someone pour hot coffee on him. I remember images of our our friends in gay pride marches back when people like Delta and PNC Bank were in them. And watching those marches as people threw rocks at them and none of the marchers threw rocks back and sometimes even blew a kiss at their counter-protesters. And you know, today happens to be, it's sort of a God thing because today happens to be the 75th anniversary of, of a really horrific oppression that happened in this country. It's the 75th anniversary of Roosevelt's Executive Order 9066, which authorized the incarceration of over 120,000 human beings during World War II right in this country. People who were Japanese-American were rounded up and put into what amounts to concentration camps. So on our youth pilgrimage last summer in Juneau, Alaska, one day our guide took us up the hill to in downtown Juneau, which is sort of like being in downtown Alpharetta, and took us up the hill, and there was this tiny park. And in the corner of this tiny park, um, there was a iron replica of a wooden folding chair. And then situated around the chair, there were plaques and a, and a timeline with pictures that told the story of a young man named John Tanaka, who was one of about 200 men, women, and children who were Japanese-American who were interred in April of 1942, exiled during the war, incarcerated in Mindanoka prison camp. See, John Tanaka was the valedictorian of Juno's high school class that year. And so when the order came down in April... Um, that he had to go to a prison camp, the school held a special graduation ceremony, which is absolutely lovely. But when graduation day came in June, now remember, this is 1942, during World War II, his classmates painted a folding chair black, and they left it on the dais in his place and wouldn't let anyone sit in it during the ceremony. And they insisted that they would have no substitute valedictory address in all the people of Juneau, Alaska, who experienced this kind of violence that happens with tribalism and war, suddenly had a monument and an outward sign that all the people at home had turned the other cheek. And you know, like the Japanese-American people of Juneau, Alaska, Jesus and his friends had seen and felt real violence. The Jesus people who who first heard the gospel of Matthew in the first century were people who had who had nearly been destroyed because of their otherness. The, the Christians were a minority within a minority in Antioch. They were enemies of the state, enemies of the religion. They were considered animals, atheists, cannibals, things to the empires that held power over them. And so here Jesus is telling them, do not do violence. Seek to serve not just one another, but those people who are constantly hurting you. And I'll have to say something right now. People who look like me 
and have my story. Straight, white, economically privileged males, just to be more explicit here. Um, we were often born sliding into third base, his comedian uh, Maria Bamford says. <laughs> we were. And you know, my turns of the cheek and second miles have, have, no, have seldom, well, maybe even never been because of who I am, because of the color of my skin, because of the person I love, because of my gender or my religion. And so let's name the reality that, that a lot of you in this room right now have had to exercise this kind of grace that Jesus describes. Sometimes for deeply important spiritual reasons, but more often than not for your own survival. And I want to say right now that I can't imagine how profoundly exhausting a way to live this must be. You have much to teach your community, and you have much to teach me about turning the other cheek. And I dare say that some of you have turned the other cheek for me before. It's the stuff of revolution, friends. Spiritual writer and Franciscan monk Richard Rohr um, says that it's a transforming initiative, this turning the other cheek. He says, let him have your clothes as well. Why even play the game? If he asks you to go one mile with him, then go two miles with him. Richard then says that we are not to get into the tit-for-tat game. Carry it too. Create your own loving set of rules which will blow the system apart. You take the initiative and change the rules, he says. Change the expectations and then change the outcome. So Jesus offers us and he offers this entire world a third way because we no longer have to play the game of violence to conquer violence. And this way is located in him and in relation to him and through him. And it's the kind of divine love he's telling them and telling us that can overcome the tribalism that they've needed even to survive during their time. The kind of hatred that reasonably develops for an other who oppresses you and hurts you. And this is a love that is not passive, but a love that is transformative for the entire narrative for humanity itself. And even transformative as we know because we know how Jesus' story continues, even transformative over death. See, loving our enemies and praying for our persecutors, often it opens up our imaginations even to how we might love and serve the most unlovable people of all, those who seek to harm us. And turning the other cheek ministers even to them because it opens up this space for God to work, for God to help them to become more human, to become fully human. So there's a, a nice ending to the story of the interred Japanese Americans, our brothers and sisters. While John Tanaka and, and many others, people with names like Gary Kamatsubara and Haruo Kumasaka and Torihei Kuomoto and Henry Maeda and Tako Mori and Toyahiro Moriuchi and Thomas Mukai and Paul Shimutsu 
Toreichi Toyakawa and George Wada and Hio Yamamoto and Ikeuchi and Makato Yoshida. Well, they and others were interred. The people of Juno blew the system apart. Other Japanese Americans returned home from the camps to find their houses in disrepair, their lawns overgrown, sometimes even to have lost personal property, certain to have lost jobs and businesses, to, to go home to nothing. But it was not so for the people of Juno. Because when they returned to Juno, they found that their homes had not been sold or abused. They found their grass mown, their animals taken care of, their businesses kept open. Their lives, as much as was possible, uh, kept intact for them. Their place in the community preserved by their friends who stayed behind. I thought this was none other than a miracle. And so I asked uh, a man who was talking to us, Sam Keto, who was John Tanaka's grandson, why he thought this was happening, why he thought this happened. And I thought I'd get some hugely theological answer or, or, or a, a He'd tell me about some movement that took place. Because they overcame this horrible tribalism during a time when it was reasonable for us to have it. We thought what we perceived and probably was, uh, we were fighting horrible evil in Europe and the South Pacific. And Sam said, well, you know, here in Anchorage, here in Juneau, we're stuck here kind of with each other. There's no cars in, there's no cars out, it's only planes and boats in. And it gets so rough during the winter, so dark and cold. So we have to take each, we have to take care of each other. We have to be one another's chosen family, he said. The people of Juno turn the other cheek and they walk the second mile by caring for their friends. The Japanese-American people turned the other cheek when they came back and they assumed their place as citizens of this country when, when Alaska was later, uh, later became a state and by becoming uh, community members and loving friends. That chair was an outward reminder of how transformative and revolutionary turning the other cheek can be for us and for those who wish us harm, for the whole world. Like it or not, dear friends, Jesus is telling us today, and we act out in the Eucharist and celebrate in the Eucharist, we are all part of one body. All of us everywhere. All of us everywhere are family. And through Jesus, we have none other than a revolutionary way to choose life and to choose love and to resist evil and violence when we find it. Jesus shows us my brothers and sisters, none other than how to be, all of us, chosen family. Amen.